As was mentioned previously this morning, what a great blessing it is to be able to assemble and to gather on this occasion at this time. It is the first day of the week, and how wonderful it is when we too can lift high the anthem of God's goodness and to assemble as He has commanded, offering worship and magnification and adoration to His wonderful and matchless name. As Brother Ted mentioned a moment ago, we're blessed with a number of visitors, and as always, for regular membership and visitors alike, we're very pleased and happy that we've all been able to come together, and we certainly hope that our worship service will be that which God finds pleasing and that which He has found commanded in His Word. This morning, as we come to this part in the lesson, as no doubt our minds still are thinking about so many on our sick list and those that are suffering greatly at this time, but may I ask us for the next few moments to give some attention to some surprising scenes, activities that at least at first sight by the character of the world's definition may not pose problems in any sense of the word. And yet, when we allow the Word of God to be our guide, we find that we must be mindful of some things, some activities and some behaviors. Might I ask you to think with me for the next few moments with introduction starting like this. The Word of God is perfect, 1 Corinthians 13, 10. And therefore we know that we are in no sense amiss when we turn to its blessed pages and we make conclusion based on that. Standing opposed to that though, we know that when we rest on human opinion and when we rest on human speculation, we not only tread on thin ice, but we tread on eternally dangerous territory. No wonder we need to thus saith the Lord. And we need the blessed description of the Word of God as that which is our guide. Isn't it still the case? Quoting Jeremiah 10 verse 23, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Brother Vestal just led us in prayer in which we prayed for the direction of our nation, the direction of ourselves and our families, and may we always allow the Word of God to be that guide. That leads us to some of those thoughts near the bottom of that slide. Drifting. Isn't it so easy to become so engrossed and to be so encumbered with the things of life that one gradually drifts into behaviors, into activities, into ways of action and thinking that at one's first thought may not have been problematic, but after a little bit of drifting, we have become numbed. We have become desensitized, if you will, and now suddenly what we would never have questioned before, now we don't think enough about it, and we find ourselves guilty of what might be a surprising sin. It is for that reason that for the next few moments I would invite you to think with me about matters that challenge myself and all of us that are here in the sound of my voice today to give serious thought to these surprising sins. The first one we'll use is in the fourth chapter of the book of James. As you come to this very last verse of James chapter 4, we remember that James had in such a powerful fashion presented the thoroughness and greatness of the gospel system, reminding them of the careful matters concerning everything from their speech, James chapter 3, all the way to the nature of making sure to allow works to accompany their faith, James chapter 2. When he closed chapter number 4 after reminding them of the brevity and the uncertainty of life, the ever-present need that's ours to ever strive to do the will and work of God always, he says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. 
And immediately, in a thunderous conclusion, all of us are laid bare before the thought of, here is a kind of sin that may upon first sight be not only surprising, but perhaps even completely unexpected. What is it that you and I might conclude about this character? To him that knoweth to do good. All of us are reminded throughout the fullness of the New Testament especially about the needfulness of good. Jesus went about doing good, Acts 10.38, and He thus gave you and me the instructions to do the same, to fill our life with what's noble and righteous and good by God's definition. But you'll notice here James quickly notes, to him that knoweth to do that, having the opportunity to accomplish it, but yet chooses not to do so. To that person such is accounted as sin. And immediately we're all reminded about the failures that perhaps we face and the understanding that needs to be fully embedded in our hearts and minds about the thoroughness of a verse like this one. You'll notice that in Hebrews 2, the very text that Derek read for us earlier, in the first three verses of that chapter, listen to this contrast and highlight with me the distinction the inspired writer made. It all begins when he uses the word therefore. As the inspired writer of Hebrews put before us this distinction, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And that distinction that was so beautifully put before us was in that regime of the law of Moses. In this regime that was recognized for the powerful thoroughness of God's Word, if under that regime every transgression and disobedience received its just recompense of reward, now let us come to the New Testament era. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? We live beneath the better covenant, Hebrews 8 verse 6. We serve, in fact, a Savior whose blood had not been shed at that time. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Is there any decent answer to that question? Isn't the answer built into the question? We will not escape. Doesn't it remind us then that the obligation and the duty that comes before you and me as the happy and blessed servants of God should prompt us and prod us and lead us into exciting life of service to the Master that gave His life for us. Half-hearted service wasn't acceptable in the Old Testament, and it isn't acceptable today. Jesus demands of us, all of us, doesn't He? All of your heart and mine. Did He not say that we are in fact, in, he, in Matthew 6, 33, seek the Lord and do so daily. As we seek Him with all the heart, Psalm 119, verse 2, as we seek Him with all that is the being, it simply leads us to that context in Matthew 12. There we read, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. It is with that in mind, I would invite you to think with me about some of these things. The very issue I raised earlier is one that wasn't uncommon even in the first century. Think about the Jews of Romans chapter 2. Here were a group of people 
who themselves could no doubt at least express, if not quote much, of the explicit commandments of the Old Testament. And yet Paul directly said to them, you are guilty of doing the very things that you yourself are, are condemning. He stated it in words like this, Haven't you taught yourself, you that condemn another? The very words that you speak are the very things that serve to have taught yourself if you would have listened. Can you and I not find ourselves in that same predicament from time to time? Having drifted to the point that what once we never would have approved, now suddenly we find ourselves doing. As that slide closes, you'll notice that some of these sins then that ought to come before us challenge us to think about the greatness of the Word of God and the fact that when we know to do good and do not do it, it becomes sin to us. Let's then look at another one. What about the blessed times of assembly such as the one in which we are now? And what might be said about those times when we, for no good reason, just choose not to be here? We are by no sense lifting high the character of, let's say, myself and my preaching especially. That's not the most important thing. The important thing is our exalting God and doing His will and worship. And that encompasses several items. Our praying, our singing, our participating at the Lord's Supper, the other activities that take place when we assemble and gather. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. The Lord made that statement in Matthew 4, verse 10. It is because of all of that that I would invite you to think with me about some of these thoughts. If you and I fail to attend the service, and we do so for no good reason, what are some of the things we are failing to do? I listed in quick passing a moment ago some items, but here are some additional ones. Drawn from the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Paul reminds us on that occasion that there are some commandments given to Christians. Commandments worded in ways like this. You and I are commanded to admonish the disorderly. You and I are commanded to encourage the faint-hearted. You and I are commanded to support the weak. You and I are commanded to show long-suffering toward all. When we reflect upon the nature of those commandments, might I ask... What are some of the very best times to do those things? Is it not in the context of worship when we sing songs like we're marching to Zion and we're encouraging one and all who are listening to us to in fact march steadily, forthrightly and directly to that noble reward? We are missing a grand opportunity if we fail to be here. And under the banner of James 4.17, we're guilty of sin. You'll notice that we're also commanded to exhort and to edify one another. When the saints are then assembled, and I choose not to be there, and exhort them, and edify them, and encourage them, I'm guilty of sin. That commandment of 1 Thessalonians 5 again reminds us in verses 11 and 12 that there is a tremendous assistance and helpfulness given as it relates to the worship services. And when we choose to be absent for no good reason... That means we're exalting something else in higher priority than our service to God. We're exalting something else of higher preeminence, higher prominence, and higher importance. And we shall have to give an answer for that someday. And that answer will not be a very good one. For what else can we say? Jesus died for me. Can I not come to the services for a couple of hours for Him? 
He shed His blood for me on the cross. Can I not come to the services a couple of hours for Him? He endured a scourging in John 19.1 for me. He bore my sins and my sorrows. Can I not do that for Him? It does challenge us to think about where our priorities lay. To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him it is sin. Is it good to come to the assemblies? If so, then to willfully absent ourselves from them constitutes a willful sin. Look at some other things on this slide. You'll also notice that there's commandment given relative to this thought. In the 25th verse of Hebrews 10, the inspired writer reminded us, and in fact so powerfully directed us to this conclusion, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. These Hebrew Christians were beginning to drift, and under the duress of persecution they were beginning to choose not to assemble. Perhaps they were threatened to do so. That is to say, if they did come, maybe they were under a matter of threat from those that were Jews. The Hebrew writer said, that matters not. You exhort one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, and don't you forsake the assemblies. There's strength to be found there in number. There's encouragement to be found in the brotherhood. There is the importance of what's truly most significant in life. That's what's discussed there. Nothing has changed in 20 centuries in a sense that we still need the same instruction. Where else are we going to find it? Does the TV present it? What about the newspaper? What about the magazines and the internet and the various other articles that you and I so often consider? They are by no means any comparison to the blessed Word of God. As you can see near the bottom of that slide, there are some features about other things that are to be called into question. You'll notice that we do fail our brethren when we choose not to assemble. But you'll notice that we also fail our elders. When the elders, under the banner, the leadership they've been given, the obligation that has been theirs in terms of guiding the flock in the way toward eternal glory, and they shall give answer for that, Hebrews 13, 17, then they've chosen these times of assembly for mutual edification and mutual leadership in the Word of God. And when we fail to advantage ourselves of them, we are thus disrespecting their leadership, their authority, and those decisions for our eternal well-being. Doesn't that remind us that that obligation that they serve is serious, and the obligation should too be serious for us? Look at just a few of these thoughts. You'll notice carefully in Ephesians 3, verses 17 to 21, we are put face to face with one of the greatest anthems, it seems to me, anywhere in the New Testament. An anthem that lifts high what Christ has done for us. As a part of that, it concludes like this. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. It's almost as if Paul, right before he entered that what we call the fourth chapter, was telling us here is the basis for all of these instructions to come. Glory in the church. The Pippin Church of Christ has no other idea of purpose or mission than to glorify God through Christ. That's what we seek to do when we assemble. That's what all of us individually should seek to do every moment of every day. Glorify God through Christ. 
What then does that say if I choose to absent myself from the assembly? The very thing Christ has commanded, and I'm doing something else. Mowing the yard, going fishing, playing golf, watching TV, it doesn't matter what it is. I have thus chosen, haven't I, to directly magnify something else rather than Christ. Shame on us for any such decision and choice. No wonder in Romans 11, the last four verses of that chapter, Paul there states as he reaches another great anthem in the Roman letter, he in fact lifts high the greatness of God that he should be through all and in all. And when you and I think of that, where else should we want to be than here? But not only might this be a surprising scene, that is to say some in our world might almost find it laughable to think that purposefully missing a service is sinful, but yet the Scriptures lead inevitably to that conclusion. Here is yet something else for your consideration. What about when we join ourselves together and we just choose for no other good reason to not sing? Although the services include singing and that by commandment of God. We notice in Ephesians 5 verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That text in Colossians 3, verse number 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. At that point, we notice immediately, the word of Christ is the important issue and matter. Let the word of Christ dwell in you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Did you notice our singing has an aspect that perhaps is easy to overlook and easy to forget? He did say teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Those songs that we sang a moment ago, we were teaching each other. We were encouraging and admonishing each other in those songs. If I wasn't singing, you notice I wasn't teaching, I wasn't admonishing, I wasn't encouraging anyone in light of the message of that song. Doesn't that then tell us to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not? To him it is sin. Is it a good thing to teach and admonish? Since it's commanded, it must be. Again, Colossians 3.16. That tells us then that when we have opportunity to sing in these services, and we just choose to let our mind wander onto some other subject and idly try to wait till the song is over, God has told us that we need to sing. And He's commanded that of us. It is a thankful thing, admittedly, that He didn't command us to sing in perfect soprano voices or perfect bass, alto or tenor voices, but He did say sing. That was not left as an option. All of us then should be excited about the thought of exalting the name of God and do so in the messages and in the words of these songs. It is to be a matter in which we participate. Singing is not a spectator business. One might often wonder that there are some kinds of churches that have choirs and solos standing in front and everybody else grins and watches them. One finds no authority in the Bible for any of that. All of us are commanded to sing. That's the sweet music that God wishes to hear. Is it any wonder in Hebrews 13, 15, then that you and I are told that with the fruit of our lips, we sing praises unto God. 
No wonder then our singing should be an exciting time in which we're able to participate and to feel the powerful messages reverberated in the words of those songs. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, Brother Glenn challenged us as he led us to thinking about the nature of the words of those songs and how that the messages, even in them, are to be scriptural, are to be appropriate and right. I might ask us as we close that to think about the exciting nature of that singing that we're privileged to appreciate. We do find music in the New Testament, but it's vocal music. All eight times that we find music listed in terms of the church, every time singing is mentioned. There's no instruments in any of them other than the instrument of your vocal cords, your heart and mind. No wonder then we anxiously look forward to singing and praising God with the fruit of our lips. You'll notice then that just as surely as perhaps that was a surprising singing, one that we should be reminded of, that isn't the only one that we can consider might I ask you to think about this one? What about those instances when perhaps we fail to pray? Again, for no good reason. We just don't feel like it. Perhaps our mind has wandered onto something else. Maybe it's the football game taking place this afternoon. Maybe it's something else that's going on at work this week. We just choose to let our mind wander during the course of the prayer. I would invite you to think with me about some of the things in the New Testament as it relates to the subject of prayer and see if this too might be a surprising sign. Might we begin in this way? There's no question that there are many things in life, in your life and in mine. Work can be demanding. The pressures of community, the pressures of family can at times be nearly overwhelming. May I suggest to you that if that's true that all the more suggests the need for prayer. Think about Jesus. In Mark 1 verse 35, here we find the Son of God, the one who was perfect and had access to all the power and majesty of heaven's glory. And yet Mark 1 35 says, He went out into a solitary place before it was day, and there He prayed. Here was the one who was God in the flesh, Access again to the majesty, the mind, and all the power of the heavenly realm. And yet knowing the burdens of that day, knowing the weight that was on His shoulders, the pressures from those wanting to be healed, the issues concerning those needing to be taught, all the while He rose early and went out and prayed for help from His heavenly Father. May I suggest if the Lord needed that kind of assistance, don't you and I need it? Don't we need to be those who would quickly rely upon the text of 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Luke 18, verse 1. When we then come together in our assemblies, and there is a gentleman who leads us in prayer. When that gentleman, by careful deliberation and consideration, leads us in the ways of a scriptural prayer, what does it say if I choose not to pray alone? What does it say if by weakness of mind and disposition of desire, I'm doing something else? Playing with a kid on the bench in front of me, reading in the songbook, whatever else I might find to do to occupy the two or three minutes of the prayer. That's a very sad thing to consider, isn't it? We need to be beseeching our Heavenly Father for all the encouragement and the strength that we can. We do need it.
It's easy to overestimate our own ability and our own strength when all the while, as we noted as the sermon began, it's not in man to direct his own way, Jeremiah 10, 23. You'll notice that there near the bottom of that, so many verses might be listed that highlight our need for the help of God. Some of my favorite are in Psalm 34. In that particular psalm, we find a number of verses that lift so high the needfulness it's almost as if tears were streaming down David's face as he pleaded with God for his help. David knew he needed God's help, and we and I in wisdom should know the same. In our prayers, how much does our nation need our prayers? 1 Timothy 2 1 says, We need to pray for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Friends, we need leaders that have some interest in doing God's will and some interest in helping a nation appreciate the same. We need to pray for them. We need to help to make sure that we ourselves are leading those kinds of lives. Fathers and mothers need prayers. Elders need prayers. The preacher sure needs your prayers. All of us recognize the thoroughness then of the occupation that prayer can have in our services. On a typical Sunday morning service, if my count is right, we utter seven prayers unto God over the course of that hour. All of them are so important. All of them are so needful. And we should be excited about the appreciation of participating in them. Perhaps finally you might notice, as I listed, Jesus' example then leads us, it would seem so clearly to say, that to him that knoweth to do good and surely to pray unto God is good, to willfully refuse to do that constitutes a sin. What about one more? There is a part of worship that, of course, should surround so clearly the Word of God. This should be the basis of the songs we sing. We should sing with spirit and with understanding. We should pray with spirit and understanding. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. But you notice that Timothy was told, Preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall the heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. In the first century, Paul knew that Timothy was going to face some difficult matters as a preacher. Timothy, there are going to be times that there are going to be those not interested in hearing it. They're going to be motivated by the matters of the devil. They're going to be, in fact, desirous of having their ears tickled by a message that is not true. doesn't matter, Timothy. You preach the Word. Be convenient, and even when it's not, you preach it. You'll notice that Word of God, then, should be the very matter you and I remember from John 6, verse 63. Jesus said, The words that I say unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. No wonder in times like this one we have the privilege of thinking about the Word of God. At this point, might we note this, our elders can encourage, our parents and friends, others may insist. There comes a point, though, that each of us have to have the determination of heart and mind to learn this book for ourselves, to appreciate its teaching. I would insist that one thing that it encourages us to do is be in attendance at all the Bible studies as well, so that we can learn as much about it as we can, but you'll notice that that does prompt us with some questions. You and I are told in 1 Peter 
but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you, with meekness and with fear. That's not to say that we must have this book memorized. That would probably be a challenge for any and all of us. But we should have enough acquaintanceship with it, enough familiarity with it that we can share our belief with somebody else. That we, when we come together in service, can encourage others in the way of truth and right. And again, even outside the services, that we can be a powerful figure to assist others. I suppose that then begs questions of all of us. Given that there are some critical matters, such as the plan of salvation, do you and I know this book enough to share the books, the chapters, and the verses that detail it? Do you and I know the plan of salvation well enough to do that? We should because, again, that doesn't rest on your thinking or mine. What I think is irrelevant, and the same is true of you. That won't get anybody to heaven, but what this book says will. What about the characteristics of the worship of the church? Do you and I know the books, the chapters, and the verses in which those elements of worship are described? Can we point to them and read them when someone asks us about them? What about the government of the church? Do we know the verses that highlight and set the truth of that matter forth? We know the denominational world teaches error in all of these ways. Are we prepared to discuss and to help others see the truth? What about some of these other questions? When we think about the worship and the church and the acts that go along with it, our interest ought to be in knowing the Word of God well enough to share those blessed pieces of information. And not only that, to make sure that we insist in our children that they too would learn that. While they're young is the time to embed that in their heart. The mind is the sharpest quite often in those early years of life. What they learn then, they're more apt to remember. What they embed then, they're more likely to use time and again as a matter on which they can rest all throughout life. Surprising scenes. We've looked at a few of them. Let's summarize them and can close the lesson like this. There is a narrow way that leads into everlasting life. Matthew 7 verses 13 and 14, the Lord said so. And as you and I strive to walk that narrow way today, we've been reminded that those things that litter the side of that narrow roadway can be surprising sins. Things that the world may look upon almost laughably. You mean that's a sin? And yet the Word of God reminds us as Christians that when we come together, our prayers, our singing, our devotion to the Word of God, the things that we do, even our attendance is of such basic importance that a surprising sin involves our willful absence in any of it. Today, what about your life and mine? How do you stand before the great God that shall serve as the judge? Have you sung with spirit and understanding? Are you present at the assemblies as you should be? Do you pray as you ought? Do you study the Word of God with an interest and an earnestness as you should? If we could pray for strength on your behalf today... Or if we could pray for forgiveness for matters that would be amiss in your life in those matters as a Christian, let us do it. If you've never become a Christian, there will never be a finer day than this one, the fourth day of November 2012. We could help you be baptized into Christ today. You could rise to walk literally a new creature in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Old sins are passed away. All those things washed away. 
You could be as clean and pure as a newborn baby. If today we could assist you in your initial obedience to the gospel, Jesus commanded you believe Him to be the Son of God, repent of the sins in your life, confess His matchless name as a Son of God and be baptized. If we could help you in that way or the others I mentioned, why not make a change today? And if we can be of assistance, why not come even while we stand and while we sing?